Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of History Dweebs. I am Tim, and the topic of our podcast today is the... um, Death of Major Rudolph Anderson, Jr. He was a uh, major in the United States Air Force. The only um, fatality uh, of the Cuban Missile Crisis, which occurred uh, this week, the week that we're recording this, 54 years ago in 1962. 13 days in October, Colonel. I remember. Well, I was a young man. Before I was born, Tony. I was in diapers, but. uh, I was born two weeks after Kennedy was assassinated. Really? Mm -hmm. You know, most people think of uh, October or November, they think of Thanksgiving. October, they think of Halloween. November, I think of the Kennedy assassination. Mm -hmm. And October, I think of our topic today the Cuban Missile Crisis. The closest um, we've ever come, probably, to a Third World War uh, so far. Um, so we're going to talk about the role Major uh, Anderson played in that. Uh, but before we do, uh, let me introduce my co-host. I would say panel, but uh, we're missing someone, Colonel. Uh, Brandy, as many of you know, is out on medical leave. Um, she should be joining us hopefully in a couple weeks. But until then, you're going to be stuck with me and the most dangerous man in podcasting, the very honorable the uh, uh, he's really the moral compass for the show. The Reverend Colonel Charles Beauregard Hawk Waters III, affectionately known as the Southern Gentleman. How are you today, Colonel? It's wonderful to be here today, Timmy. Is uh, have you noticed that there's a there's a strange sense of it's like the feng shui in our studio has been changed around. It's peaceful, calm. There's it is peaceful. To, yeah, the, and aggressiveness. And, and like it's not. There's no dark clouds in the yeah, room. There's I don't no feel rain. Like walking on eggshells. Yeah, I, I know it's amazing. I don't but know. Something's different. I just can't put can't, my finger on it. You know? <laughs> well, you better enjoy it because we only have a couple weeks, and uh, you know who will be back. But we miss Brandy. Brandy, get feeling better. Uh, she's probably all doped up and. High on oxycotton's or something, but uh, we hope you're feeling better, Brandy, and that you'll be back soon. She's pleasant when she's doped up. Yeah, she is. Yeah, but she has to be really doped really up. Doped I mean, up. yeah, yeah. I mean, you're not talking just a, you know a Percocet. I mean, she no, has to be. You have to. She's like she's yeah. like uh, Keith Richards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to. I mean, you're talking at least morphine. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, we're gonna jump in this story. First, I want to give some shout-outs, though, to uh, those who support our podcast on Patreon. We really do appreciate it. 
Um, if you would like to support our podcast on Patreon, um, you can visit patreon.com slash history dweebs, and you can um, pledge a little or a lot. Or how much, Colonel? Well, just a wee bit. Too. A wee just bit. A we wee appreciate bit. Uh, uh, any donations because it helps us with the cost of uh, producing the podcast. And we have uh, a number of uh, Patreons who have been very generous, and we want to thank them uh, and give them a shout-out. So uh, thank you, Alicia and Chip. Uh, thank you, Cindy Lou. Uh, Bridget, thank you very much. Angelo, uh, thank you for supporting the show. Andrew Happ, we really appreciate Andrew. Jennifer Siemens. Uh, Charlie from the Insight Podcast, thank you, Charlie. Jahara, we appreciate you uh, supporting us. I think she's over in Italy. Dolphins fan. Brandy McBride, thank you, Brandy, for supporting us. Amber McCain Scoville, thank you, uh, Amber. Patty Wooten, and our newest uh, patron, uh, Leslie Hager. I think I'm saying that right. Thank you, Leslie. Yeah, thank you very much. We certainly appreciate it. And, uh, again, it helps us cover the cost of doing this. And we're going to have some new new microphones soon. So hopefully you'll find the quality of the of the uh, sound greatly improved. Probably not the podcast, but of the sound. Right. It didn't help my singing, Jimmy. I think my singing has been affected oh, by this microphone. Oh, oh, you think that's what's... Yeah, uh, I, I, I need a better microphone if I'm oh, going to be... Yeah, I'm sure this. I'm sure it's the microphone's fault. I like to think so. Okay, uh, Colonel, are you ready to talk about the life of Major uh, Rudy Anderson? I'm ready to grab this thing by the balls and run, Timmy. All right, I'm ready to grab it right. Well, no. Okay, all right, no. we'll get we'll we'll let's get into it. Okay, so um, Rudy Anderson, Major Rudy Anderson, was a uh, pilot in the United in the United States Air Force. You know who I think about when. Um, thinking about this story is uh, our listener Jeff Chestnut. Yeah. I believe Jeff was in the Jeff's Air Force. In the Air Force. Yeah. yeah. So um, my dad was in the Air Force, although it was during the Second World War, and I think it's before they had the official Air Force. It was the Air Corps mm-hmm. then. And um, he was um, he was he did like radio stuff. My father was a meteorologist in the Air Force. Really? In the Korean War. Interesting. Uh, Mr. Anderson here, Rudy Anderson, was a pilot in the Korean War. You know, those bombers, I mean, those guys who worked on those bombing missions during the Second World War, I read where they they had, like, the highest fatality rate of anyone. Yeah. Like, you're, you, were, you were safer as a foot soldier on the Eastern mm-hmm. Front, as a Russian soldier on the Eastern Front, right. than you bomber. were in a bomber. They had to fly, yeah. I believe, 23 <clears throat> missions before they rotate out, and a lot of them... They never made it. Well, the planes, the bombing planes, the things they used for bombers were slow planes. Yeah. So they were usually accompanied by fighter planes, but the problem was... Yeah, they, 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 it was long distance. Yeah, it was long distance, and you could only, you could only protect them so well. Right, right. And then uh, when you're talking about Dresden, and, and uh, the United States was bombing during the daytime. Right. Uh, Great Britain, UK. Well, they didn't give a shit. Yeah. They do it during the day. They do it live, Timmy. Yeah, they do. And uh, it, it was... <clears throat> so anyway, uh, Rudy Anderson, uh, Rudolph Rudy Anderson Jr. was a pilot and commissioned air officer in the United States Air Force. He was the first recipient of the Air Force Cross. That's what I remember. As I said, the Air Force really didn't come about officially until right after the Second World War. My dad was in what was called then the Army Air Corps. Uh, but the Air, uh, Rudy Anderson received the first... Um, uh, Air Force Cross 
Award and uh, he was the he also that was the uh, U.S. Air Force second highest award for heroism. Um, he was the only person killed by enemy fire during the Cuban Missile Crisis, and um, he died when his uh, U-2 spy aircraft that he was flying uh, was shot down over Cuba in the day twelve of the thirteen day crisis, and the day that was probably the darkest of. of of the whole crisis, the, the where tensions were the highest, and that's pretty impressive feat shooting down a U two plane, Demi. Uh, yeah, because they they were very high, very high, yeah, <clears throat> and uh, and it was very risky. Uh, but uh, what we'll get when we get into crisis, uh, into talking about the missile crisis, we'll we'll talk about why it was important that uh, the U S was able to uh, keep those U two flights going. They were going around the clock, twenty four hours mm-hmm. a day uh, during the crisis. Anyway. Uh, Rudolph Anderson Jr. Uh, was born on September 15th, 1927, in Greenville, South Carolina. Um, he was a he was born to a good family. He was well behaved uh, uh, and uh, excelled in school. Um, you know, <laughs> I'm so used to writing these up for serial killers <laughs> that yeah. I use for the. You're the, waiting for his dad to beat, beat him. Yeah, yeah, for him to kill his. Yeah, kill the dog or something, but uh, no, he had a normal childhood uh, from a good family, was well-behaved, excelled in school. He loved reading about flying from a very early age. He spent most of his free time building uh, model airplanes as a child. He was an overachiever in school. Uh, He joined the Boy Scouts and earned the rank of Eagle Scout uh, from his local Boy Scout troop. And as you know, Colonel Eagle Scout's about the highest you can go. It's yeah, and it's not too many people make it to Eagle Scout. So uh, Rudy was well liked by his teachers and his classmates. He had a good sense of humor and loved playing practical jokes. He was always bright and optimistic. And um, on his, uh, his high school yearbook, his quote was, "Good humor is clear is the clear blue sky of the soul." So he was a kind of a. Uh, upbeat young man. Upbeat, yeah, sunny, sunny disposition. He yeah. Down the sunny side of the street. He too. did. Upon graduating from Greenville High School in South Carolina back in 1945, uh, Rudy was accepted to Clemson University. And it was there he became a member of the Air Force ROTC. So this is, you know, right after the Second World War. Uh, he majored, uh, majored. He majored in text, uh, text mani- uh, textile management, and excelled in his studies. I um, majored in text management. I just text all, <laughs> all through class. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but his real passion was flying uh, and the United States Air Force. While a member of the ROTC, Rudy was active and received honors as a, a senior platoon leader, a Tiger platoon leader. He was a member of the best drilled squad and also a member of the executive sergeant club. So some honorary titles while he was in ROTC there at Clemson University. During his senior year of college, um, he narrowly escaped death or a very serious injury. injury. This sounds like something uh, I would do, Colonel. He uh, fell out of a third-story window in the barracks. he was chasing a pigeon down the hall of the third floor of these barracks uh, when the pigeon flew out the window. And uh, Rudy was unable to stop and follow the bird out of the window. 
several witnesses said that, um, you know, uh, they were shocked when they saw him going flying out of the window. That would shock me a little bit. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't, you know, it wouldn't shock me around here at work because people leap out the window all the time. <laughs> right. But uh, by accident, chasing a pigeon, it would mm-hmm. be different. So, um uh, he uh, was conscious when he arrived at the hospital there at the, the university, and he was able to identify himself. He uh, suffered lacerations to his right forehead, uh, dislocation of his right wrist, and his pelvic bone. Oh, so yeah, so but he didn't have any internal injuries, thank God, and so he survived the fall of a three-story window. That was that has to be something that would be. Um, you'd be embarrassed about. Um, The attending physician said it was a miracle that Anderson escaped without more serious injuries. Now, this kind of made news around campus that um, this student had fallen out the window chasing a (laughs) pigeon. And so the president of the university, uh, Clemson University, a couple days later received a letter that stated, I... Read in the paper, I guess the school paper, that one of our distinguished senior students fell out of a third-story window while chasing a pigeon down the hall. It did not state whether he caught the pigeon or not. This has me worried because I have often wondered whether a Clemson man is capable of catching a pigeon or not. Yours truly signed a cute pigeon. <laughs> so, so Rudy uh, recovered shortly from his injuries, if not from his embarrassment. Uh, during his um, summer, uh, uh, during the summer of his sophomore and junior year at Clemson, uh, he went to ROTC summer camp at Kessler's Air Force Base in Biloxi, Mississippi. You ever been to Mississippi, Colonel? I have been, and I tell you what, Jimmy, I'm not lying to you. I have been to Meridian, Mississippi, mm-hmm. and I tell you, it's like a third world country. Down really? There. I mean, I. I have never seen, and you know, I'm from a city. Mm-hmm. We have the inner city. We have, you know, I, I came from a damn housing project. Mm-hmm. I have never seen poverty like really? I've seen in Marie. Yeah, they say Mississippi. Is that's where Elvis portion. was born. Yeah, I mean these these houses were no more than houses were literally as big as this office. They were mm-hmm. shacks. They had really? ten roofs on them. Mm. And, and I was, I just, I think I was probably about eleven, twelve years old. Man, you wanted to get back to the west side of Cincinnati. Yeah, they I live mean, in the high it, life. It made it, it. It made an impression on me that mm-hmm. I, you know, that this was. I thought, you know what, this was. This is what India must be like. Mm-hmm. You know, third the, world. Yeah. So in 1948, Rudy graduated from Clemson, and he was commissioned as a second lieutenant in the United States Air Force. He completed primary and advanced pilot training and received his U.S. Air Force aeronautical rating as a pilot shortly after. Uh, He began his uh, operational career flying uh, RF-86 Sabres in 1950, just as the Korean War was breaking out. Um, Rudy was quick to see active duty flying dangerous missions into enemy territory uh, over the skies of North Korea. He would go on to earn two distinguished flying crosses, uh, for reconnaissance missions that he made during the Korean War. Uh, it was around this time also, in the early 19, or 1950, that he uh, asked his high school sweetheart, uh, Jane, uh, to marry him. 
The couple was married in 1950 and soon started a family uh, with uh, Jane giving birth to two sons, Tripp and Jim, was his son's name. Now, she would later give birth to their only daughter, a little girl named Robin, um, and she was pregnant with Robin during the Cuban Missile Crisis. Mm. So um, he would never get, unfortunately, get to see his daughter. Rudy was thrilled uh, with his Air Force career and happy with his young, you know, his marriage life and his young family. Uh, life was good for the couple. After the Korean War ended in 1953, Rudy remained in the Air Force and uh, reached the rank of major. So he became a lifer, and in 1958, uh, with the Cold War between the United States and the Soviet Union heating up, uh, Rudy told Jane that he wanted to uh, apply to fly the U-2 spy plane. And as you mentioned, Colonel, this was this was a uh, a unique uh, plane. Uh, it was nicknamed the Dragon Lady. The U-2 was the Amer- an American single-jet engine, ultra-high-altitude, as you were mentioning, reconnaissance aircraft. And if you've ever seen pictures of these guys who fly these planes, I mean, they were like astronauts. They had yeah. their big suits on. Well, was dam- and, you know, the thing was damn near a glider mm-hmm. that went <clears throat> into space. Yeah, it was very, uh, very high uh, altitudes so that the, you know, the, United, uh, the United States used those, of course, so that they could... Um, uh, spy on uh, the Soviets and the China, the communist uh, Chinese communists during this period, and uh, so he wanted to fly the U two. Uh, so he applied. He was accepted, um, and um, in the started flying the U twos in the late nineteen fifties. Now it was the U two. The U-2 spy plane provides day and night high-altitude all-weather intelligence gathering. So it could go uh, in all types of weather. And they would have, you know, they had these very sophisticated cameras on board Mm -hmm. uh, that could take satellite, you know, almost like satellite photos of of what was going on on the ground. Uh, The U-2 program was crucial uh, to the United States uh, during the Cold War, as I said, uh, to uh, spy on the Soviet Union, and uh, communist China. Uh, but as you mentioned, Colonel, the U-2 was very dangerous, a very dangerous plane to fly because of its, uh, in addition to its high altitudes, uh, you, know, you always had the risk of being shot down. Um, despite the risk, uh, Rudy wanted to fly. Well, no, I, I, I believe there were no guns on the U-2. No, they, I, I think you're right. They were completely defenseless. I mean, if you see a picture of Their defense was the altitude that they right. were flying. Um, but they're, they're a one-man show. I mean, they're, yeah. they're, they're I just... I mean, they literally look like they're made out of balsa wood, the kind you make, yeah. make as a kid. Mm-hmm. You know, they're very, very long. Mm-hmm, very, very long. wingspan. Um. So, we'll put up a picture on the page. Yeah, we will. We will. But I, and I said, in these, because it's high altitude, you see these pictures of these pilots, and it looks like they're astronauts. They've got the big, you yeah. know, the, the uh, oxygen mask and everything on. So I, I, after qualifying as a YouTube pilot on September 3rd, 1957, um, Rudy became part of the, four, uh, uh, the 408, the 4080th. Strategic uh, Reconnaissance Wings 
and he was one of the top U-2 pilots with over 1,000 hours behind him. It made him one of the most experienced, uh, no time made him one of the most experienced U-2 uh, pilots in the country. So, um, you know, very dangerous mission. As I said, there were some things going on. We'll talk about some occurrences that happened with the YouTube um, later on. Um, but, of course, probably the most famous, I think we'll discuss later, briefly later, is um, Gary Powers, who was a yeah. YouTube pilot mm-hmm. who was he shot was down. Captured. Yeah, was shot down and captured over the Soviet Union, and they had this, you know, this... Um, uh, trial. Uh, the Russians had this trial for him, and it was a big story back in the uh, late 1950s. But anyway, you know, an interesting side note to that, Timmy. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I mentioned my father was in Korea as a meteorologist. Do you know how they worked back then? They didn't have radar. Right. They were using actual weather balloons. That's why I was going to ask, was it balloons? Yeah, they would use weather balloons, and I guess they'd retrieve these things, and from the change in... I don't know how it works, actually, Mm -hmm. and that's something to be good to look up, but... Yeah, I forgot about the weather balloons. I guess nobody don't use them anymore, but... Yeah, they got the Doppler radar right. now, but before they were sending the balloons up in there, bringing them back and mm-hmm. trying to get information from them. And I think it was the change in pressure. And uh, Yeah, there's some whatever. mathematical calculations that they My did. My father knew how to use a slide rule, Timmy. Well, that um, is makes him probably a one percenter. <laughs> he, he actually did know how to use a slide rule, and he was... I never uh, could figure that out in yeah. school. But he was a lifer in the Air Force himself. So. Oh, okay. Now, was he in the Air Force or Air Corps? He was in the Air Force. Okay, so um, he he came in after the Second World War. I'm not sure when the, when it officially became the Air Force, but I know my dad was in the Army Air Corps, and I think it wasn't the, they didn't become a separate branch until after the Second World War. Now, I'll t- and I'll tell you a very peculiar thing. Um, as you know, my father, rest his soul, mm-hmm. passed away. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a, a nobody had noticed it, but when when my this back. Before the, you know, now I don't think they give people, I don't think they give veterans, you know, this is my personal mm-hmm. opinion, but I don't think veterans really get what they should be getting. Mm-hmm. Back then when my father died, uh, they started showing up to our house with, you know, wheelbarrows full of cash and, mm-hmm. you know, t- they, I mean, they really took, took care, care of them. Mm-hmm. And um, they paid for his headstone. A Marine color guard picked my mother up at the house, took her to the funeral. And just not long ago, we noticed that his headstone said U.S. Army on it. Mm-hmm. They did not have U.S. Air Force on his headstone. I wonder if it was what? Maybe he was part of the Air Corps. No, he was in the Air Force. Oh, we have his records, mistake. but they just made a mistake. And for all those years, nobody noticed it. You know, what? and you know, one of the things that upset my mom a lot when my father passed away was that uh, my father, who served in, you know, in the Second World War in the Air Corps, um, when he died, we went to have a, a, a stone because mm. he was due one as a veteran. Yeah. And um, his records was in a warehouse that had burnt down in 1967. Yeah, yeah, and they they couldn't uh, provide him with a headstone. So you know we you know we took the flag out. We you know, we put, decorated with flags and everything. But um, she was very upset at that. Um, but it, apparently his. Um, from a, this period of time between 1943 to 1947, when he was in, mm-hmm. his part of the alphabet was his records. For his part of the alphabet was stored somewhere in Virginia at this warehouse, 
obviously before they had computers and they tracked all this stuff on databases and things. And they had been a fire, so they could not... Um, could not verify. Verify. And, and his, uh, his, you know, DD2... Yeah, DD14. DD14. We didn't know. We couldn't find it, so, yeah. unfortunately. Uh, but anyway, so um, Rudy's going, you know, he's... Uh, now he's, you know, flying his U2. It's 1960. He is, he's married. He's got two kids. Um the Cold War is heating up between the United States and the Soviet Union. As you know, Charles, when we were kids, uh, we had to, I don't know if you did this or not, but we had like these uh, uh, bombing drills at school. Where now, you know what? Me and you, the our age difference to me is just in that window. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Where they because stopped. I wasn't born yet. Yeah. So I was not born until 19... 19- Almost 1964. I was I was the yeah, last. So I'm actually the last baby boomer. Yeah. So I was like three years before that, and I remember that we would uh, we would have these drills where you know they tell us to get under the desk or something. It was stupid because you know yeah. like I was going to help you in a thermonuclear war, but you were alive, of course. I mean, you were around as a child. You remember the Cold War, obviously. No, I remember the Cold War, and and it was a sense almost of not. Well, if, but when it would happen, right? Yeah, I think everybody believed until really the, um, you know, we're older, I think, than a good part of our listeners. Probably uh, until the late 80s, maybe? Well, really until Reagan came in and, and they, um, you know, Reagan started, Reagan really started an arms race. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's when people thought, um Really, a lot of people thought this is when it comes to a head because mm-hmm. then the Soviets went on, mm-hmm. but it bankrupted the Soviets. Right. I mean, it caused, it really hastened the collapse of the Soviet Empire. Yeah, they, because they were economically weaker. Yeah. But, but I, I mean, growing up, it was almost. But growing up, it was almost an inevitability. Yeah, that, at some point it was going to happen. Yeah. And I think and people all, can't. Because all of a sudden China came along. Yeah. You yeah. Know, and the. the at some point, the threat changed from, you know, Russia to China to, you know, there was this and, triangle. And there was this brief period where China and Soviet Union were uh, allied. Right. Um, then, yeah. you know, then I mean, you had big characters back then. You had Khrushchev, you had Mao. I yeah. mean, you had... Nixon. Yeah, yeah. I mean, these larger-than-life la- larger Eisenhower, these larger-than-life mm-hmm. figures... But anyway, the point being for our younger audience, um, it, it was you know it was weird time to live through because you almost you almost uh, like I said, it was almost a matter of not if but when this uh, third world war was going to break out. So in the midst of all this, um, Rudy uh, Anderson is flying reconnaissance missions in his U two. Now, the United States and the Soviet Union barely avoided, avoided war in the late 1950s over the issue of Berlin. Of course, Berlin was a divided city after the war, war, Second World War. It was in East Germany, part of the Soviet. East Germany was part of the Soviet bloc, and they wanted the city to themselves. But the United States, of course, had a sector there. Great Britain had a sector there. France had a sector um, and so the Soviets end up building a wall that um, blocked off their sector, and uh, it created a lot of tension between uh, the Soviet bloc countries in the east of Europe and then the United States and all the NATO um, countries. So 
There were conflicts there. There were also, in the late 1950s, a revolution in Cuba. Uh, Cuban, uh, Cuba became under the control of uh, dictator Fidel Castro, mm-hmm. who, after he uh, ousted uh, uh, the dictator, the his predecessor there, Castro declared the uh, island now a communist state. So you have the Red Scare going on. Uh, you have uh, w- with McCarthy looking for uh, communists in the, in, in the government. You have the uh, Berlin Crisis. Now you have the uh, you have a uh, communist state just ninety miles off the coast of Florida in Cuba. So a lot of stuff going on. Nineteen sixty, Kennedy of course runs for. Uh, election and uh, one of the things he point against vice the sitting vice president Richard Nixon and one of the things he criticizes Nixon for was the fact that uh, Cuba become communist under the mm-hmm. uh, his yeah. and Eisenhower's watch. So uh, there was a lot of pressure on Kennedy to be tough on Cuba. Cuba Castro in Cuba on, at, uh, in the meantime was getting economic and military assistance from the Soviet Union. Uh, in 19, um, so all this was going on. In 1960, we mentioned earlier, uh, a little bit earlier, a U-2 pilot named Gary Powers was shot down uh, in a U-2 over the Soviet Union by a surface-to-air missile. He survived the crash, but he was taken captive by the Russians, and they made this big show trial, and they put him on TV, and, you know, it was a lot of tensions. Now, in 1961, shortly after he became president, um, the CIA came to Kennedy and uh, said they had a plan to uh, remove Castro from Cuba. Uh, they had a trained uh, Cuban exiles. The plan had been approved uh, under the Eisenhower administration. And uh, Kennedy, feeling pressure to remove Castro, uh, keeping a campaign promise, approved the plan for these Cuban exiles to go into Cuba to retake the island and what became known as the Bay of Pigs. It turned out, of course, to be a disaster. Um, Castro got wind of the plan, and uh, they were waiting for him when they uh, arrived on the beachheads there in Cuba. It killed a lot of them, took others captive, and uh, it's probably a low, low point of the Kennedy um, presidency. Although he went up in his numbers in the polls, strangely enough. Uh, Even the disaster. Yeah. Because it made him look like he was being aggressive. He said, uh, the, yeah, and his, his quote was, the, the worse I do, the more popular, more popular I become. I become yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but anyway, so you had all these tensions going on. So Cuba is afraid that the United States is going to invade. So they seek, uh, there's tension between the U.S., uh, high tension between the U.S. and the Soviet Union. And um, so Cuba then asked uh, uh, Khrushchev, Nikita Khrushchev, the premier of the Soviet Union, to send them arms and, in fact, to send them um, uh, ballistic missiles to Cuba so that they can deter any further aggression from the United States. And to everyone's surprise, Khrushchev agrees. Uh, never before had Khrushchev or the Soviet Union allowed their nuclear arsenal to be outside of the Soviet Union. So 
they did so in part because Americans had nuclear missiles stationed, uh, they called Jupiter, Jupiter ballistic missiles stationed in Italy and Turkey. So this was kind of like, well, if it's good for the goose, good for the gander type of thing. They agreed to place, uh, secretly place nuclear missiles in Cuba uh, starting in 1962. Um, Khrushchev and Castro agreed on this plan in July 1962, and the construction of a number of missile launch facilities started that summer. The Soviet Union intended to keep the missile buildup a secret until the missiles were operational, which makes sense. Um, and around this time, young Rudy Randolph, he was 35 years old, and his family, young family, was settling in Florida. His wife, Jean, was pregnant. And the couple, as I said later, would have a daughter named Robin. As a U-2 pilot, um, Rudy played an important role in the monitoring of the Soviet buildup in Cuba. Well, <clears throat> Timmy, they needed, to, they needed to see what was going on with these buildings over there. Sure. And the way to do it was use these U-2 pilots. Yeah, and this is, you know, uh, they didn't have the technology that they had, the satellite technology that they right. had today. The only way to get information was to fly, yeah, to fly, fly over, over and take pictures and see what they say. So in October 15, 1962, during these flights, another U-2 pilot, um, Major Steve Heiser, he confirmed the missile buildup when the mission produced clear photographic evidence of medium-range in intermediate range ballistic missile facilities. Now, the information was given to President Kennedy, and the Cuban Missile Crisis was un- was underway. It's been said during the next 13 days, the world was as close to annihilation as it's ever come. Now, the United States could not accept nuclear missiles within 90 miles of its shore. That was just not going to happen. Yeah, it made the uh, it made the almost the whole country vulnerable to uh, missile strikes. Well, Although they had they the, the the Russians had inter, intercontinental ballistic missiles, yeah. but there was a they were time to prepare for those. But with these, they, it was a matter of minutes before they could wipe out right. most and, of the country. Timmy, I believe at that time the, the the best the Russians could do were parts of Alaska and California. Mm-hmm. They weren't going to be, they didn't have the capabilities, despite what we thought, they didn't really have the capabilities of hitting Kansas City, Chicago, New York. Um, sure. But, but, anyway, with, but being 90 miles off the coast, 90 miles off the coast they, they had to hit anywhere in the United States with them before we could even react. Certainly it. anywhere on the East Coast, including yeah. Washington, D.C. Right. Mm-hmm. So they were not going to accept this. So Kennedy had to act. So he gets his cabinet together and gets some advice. That's what you got the cabinet for. Right. And uh, there, were, there were a few factions within this group. Now, those, uh, there was one faction led by uh, a U.S. general, Curtis LeMay. Yeah, we have to do. We have to do a podcast on Curtis LeMay. Yeah, sometime. he's he's a he's an interesting guy. Yeah, he was. Um, he just wanted to bomb the shit out of Cuba and take them out by an airstrike, followed up by an invasion of Cuba. So that would almost certainly mean killing Russian advisors who were on the ground in Cuba and possibly triggering a third world war. Now, the other factions wanted to be a little bit more diplomatic. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. 
That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. It's kind of like me and the devil, Timmy. Yeah, you have the hawks and you, you have, have the devil who just says crush everything. That's right. And me sitting reasonable. back saying, you know, let's, let's, we're reasonable men. We right. can find an accommodation for this. We don't right. have to just destroy everything in our path. Yeah, so she, Brandy's so. sort of like, Curtis LeMay, General LeMay. Cur- yeah, and you're more like Dean Rusk. She, Bradley Stevenson, I think. She's like Godzilla. <laughs> she's like Godzilla. She just walked through Japan just trampling everything. Yeah, just not, you know, so, just stepping on buildings. She don't care. Little kids, yeah, she babies care. in strollers. She, she, she don't, don't care. care. Nah. Um, so anyway, though. The Big, fashion. ugly Godzilla feet. <laughs> oh, yeah. You ever seen her feet? You yeah. got size, size 14 feet. <laughs> So anyway, you better hope she doesn't listen to this. That's what she gets for taking off. Um, the other factions call for a more diplomatic approach, um, but they needed Khrushchev to not put these missiles in there. Right. Nanny and Kennedy decided on a third path. He would institute a military quarantine of Cuba, stopping any ship that carried offensive weapons to the island and at the same time reach out to Khrushchev and attempt to find a diplomatic solution. Yeah, so basically a naval blockade. Yeah, is what that's he what he called. On October 21st, he decided there was going to be a naval blockade. Now, officially, it was a quarantine. In legal parlance, a less warlike term than a blockade. Yeah, because uh, a blockade means is an act of blockade war. Blockade is an act of war, but right. this was a quarantine. Yeah, so, <laughs> so uh, yeah, they're just playing some word games there. They well, they're being a little Orwellian. Yes, like, you yes. Know, yes, like what we Operation Enduring Freedom. And yes, yeah, the yeah. Patriot Act. Yeah, 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 yeah. They're trying to put a positive spin yeah. on it. Yeah. So now, using YouTube photography as a kind of public indictment on October twenty second, Kennedy addressed the nation and warned the Soviets. It shall be. This is Kennedy's words. It shall be the policy of this nation to regard any nuclear missile launched from Cuba against any nation in the Western Hemisphere as an attack by the Soviet Union on the United States, requiring full retaliatory response retaliatory response upon the Soviet Union. Yeah, and that's kind of chilling if you've ever seen that. Yeah. Uh, I mean... He, he wasn't bullshitting around right, when he it, got up there. He right. Was, it, he was almost like Clint Eastwood. Talking. This was a message. This was a live broadcast from the White House, just like the presidents do on, on national TV. But it was also a message to not only the American people, but our allies, and a message to Khrushchev himself saying... Look, if you, it doesn't matter. What was it? Uh, you know, remember the uh, the Clint Eastwood movie? I can't remember uh, where he where he says something like his fault, their your fault, therefore it doesn't matter. It I'm going to blow your head off. Yeah, and that's kind of what uh, Kennedy was saying there. If Cuba shoots one of these things off. Yeah. Whether it's good intentions, it, bad intentions. Bad intentions. Yeah. I don't care if it lands in France. I don't care if it lands anywhere in the yeah. Western Hemisphere. 
Russia has attacked the United yes. States. Yeah, they made it very clear, so. red line, that, uh, and it was going to require a full retaliatory response, which, of course, meant nuclear weapons. Now, so obviously we're on the brink of World War Three here, you know, and as we said, a quarantine or a naval blockade is in itself an act of war. Mm-hmm. Now, if the Soviet Union, and they already had ships on the way to Cuba, tried to run through this, the U.S. Navy was going to be forced to sink these ships. Yeah. Now, once a shot got fired at that ship, the ship was going to hit the fan. Yeah. It, there was a lot of things. I, I think Kennedy, and we'll talk about this later, but what Kennedy and Khrushchev both learned during this was that there were things that were beyond their control. They didn't control right. events. Yeah. And the fear that Kennedy had was that someone somewhere wasn't going to get the word. Yeah. You know, there was going to be a communication. Yeah. And this is, you know, trying to cuz we're we're trying to make this a brief one because of space issues yeah. on Lipson, but um you know, one of the things with World War II that they did not take it, take into account. Um they bombed Nagasaki, mm-hmm. Hiroshima. And who who got bombed first, Timmy? Uh, Hiroshima. And they gave him 24 hours mm-hmm. to fully surrender. Mm-hmm. What they did not take into account was it completely decimated their internal communication structure. Mm-hmm. So, and it it vaporized everything. There were no witnesses to right. this thing, really. Right. You know, mm-hmm. anybody that could say what happened was dead. Yeah. So, Although uh, there was one man, I get, there was one man who got bombed in both in cities. In both cities. Yeah, yeah, he moved to Nagasaki no, after he, yeah, he took it, But the problem being, and that was that, is that Japan did not have time to respond to the 24-hour thing because they could not gather enough information as to what the hell just happened within 24 hours. So we just went and dropped the second bomb. Had we given them 48 or 72 hours... Mm-hmm. They really had no retaliation, no way well, to retaliate. Well, and, and, and there was pre- the United States felt pressure to end it because Russia was getting involved. Yeah. And they did not want the same thing. They didn't thing. want Russia taking into, yeah. into Japan. Yeah, they didn't want and, the same uh, thing happen in Japan that happened in Europe. Yeah, happened in Russia Berlin. has a plane. And they got foothold. Yeah. But anyway, the point being, because of poor communications or inability to communicate, mm-hmm. um, Japan would have surrendered after they seen that first nuclear bomb. Yeah. go off in Nagasaki and seen the damage and knew that we could do it again. But they didn't have, their communications were so messed up and so bad that they did not respond mm-hmm. within the 24 hours, so we dropped the second one. Yeah, and, and you, you know, <clears throat> Kennedy had re- recently read, right before this crisis, uh, Barbara Tuckman's book, The Guns of August, about the First World War and how miscalculations led to that war. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, they were both aware. And that's why when this crisis is over, they set up the hotline uh, between Moscow and Washington right. to communicate. Because it only took one guy to make a mistake. Well, there was a lot up. of things that happened during this crisis that could have put us, could have, uh, you know, led to war. One of the more famous accounts is the U.S. was sh- shooting death charges, but they were fake death charges mm-hmm. at a Soviet submarine in the Caribbean. Why you would, in the middle of this crisis, you, were, crisis you would be you shooting, would that, yeah. using fake death charges. But the Soviet commander, had, they had nuclear weapons on that, uh, on that submarine. He had the authority at that point to use them. Now, he mm-hmm. didn't. 
And that's that's right. a whole other interesting story yeah. we could get into. And why. that's the whole thing is that all uh, you know you the president makes this big decisions, right? But there's a lot of little decisions that people have complete autonomy to make mm-hmm. that could have gone wrong and could have easily. Not, I mean, you were you and um, as Bonnie Tyler would have said, and it's it's uh, well, I forget the name. They was living in a powder keg and giving off sparks. <laughs> exactly. Oh, it hot, yeah, that's a good reference there, Kurt. Um But you're right. In and um, I think the both Khrushchev and Kennedy saw that that things were get that events were getting a life of their own. Yeah. So anyway, stopping more arms would keep um, more arms from entering Cuba, but they would not prevent the missiles already on the island from becoming operational. Right, so they still have the problems, even with the yeah. blockade. With the still, blockade. They still have missiles already there. So the president decides missiles have to be destroyed before they become operational. The consensus among his military advisors was that they were going to be operational within days. Um, in order to confirm this, president ordered around-the-clock surveillance of Cuba, increasing the number of U-2 flights over the island. One of the men charged with flying these missions, Major Rudolph Anderson. Now, this is a very dangerous mission. Tensions are high. The missiles are guarded by a battery of surface-to-air missiles. Um, you know, it lasted for 13 days. Now, while diplomats search for a peaceful solution to this, you know, military plan, the military was planning for all-out war. There were plans to... Uh, Evacuate Washington D.C. The Soviet Soviet Union's embassy in Washington began burning sensitive documents. I mean, they thought it was this. Yeah, it was it was it. So, congressmen sent their families back home um, because they knew Washington was going to be a first strike target. Um, There were some days during the crisis that it appeared that the problem would be solved diplomatically, and other days where it seemed like events were spinning out of control. Now, on day five, a U-2 flight went off course and mistakenly entered Soviet airspace. Yeah, that's one of the things we're talking about, how easily... Yeah. Yeah. So, in a separate incident, incident, there was a computer malfunction in the Soviet Union's defense system, which determined that the U.S. was launching a nuclear attack. Yeah, what a time for a glitch. (laughs) Yeah. Now, both instances, calmer heads prevailed. Um, so these flights over Cuba continued. Now, on October 24th, U.S. forces went to DEFCON 2 alert status. You know what that uh, means, Colonel? Oh, it's it means the devil's on the way. Mm-hmm. That's the highest um, It's the highest we've ever been on. It's one notch below all-out war. The following day, for the first time, surface-to-air missiles were sighted near a U-2. At that time, Anderson was preparing for what would become his sixth um flight across that, over to Cuba. The darkest day of the crisis was on day 12 in October 22nd, or 27th, I'm sorry, 1962. General LeMay and the other Hawks advising the president, they're urging a military strike on Cuba. They were concerned that they were running out of time and the missiles would soon be operational. On that morning, President Kennedy received two messages from Premier Nikita Khrushchev. The first letter demonstrated a willingness to work out a diplomatic solution to the crisis. 
A moment later, the president received a second rambling letter from Khrushchev denouncing capitalism and American aggression toward Cuba and threatening all-out nuclear war. Yeah, they just got these two very different letters from him. They didn't know if there was a coup or the mm-hmm. mili- you know, hardliners right. had taken over because yeah. they got these two very different messages. They, uh, they, there was confusing. Yeah, and it was, you know, it was like the height of the, the whole uh, crisis. And that's never been explained. That's mm-hmm. never been explained right. with for any good reason. Now, the president and his cabinet, they're trying to respond to these two very different messages, Timmy. Now, Major Anderson, he's preparing for his final mission over Cuba, and he made a pass over Cuba. He's approaching the shoreline when the Soviets fired two surface-to-air missiles at his U-2. Now, remember, these things had... They weren't necessarily really fast. Um, they were just, they were built for one thing, and that was to observe. Yeah, to take photos. Yeah, so they weren't the most maneuverable planes in the world. Now, one exploded behind Anderson and sent shrapnel into the cockpit. It punctured his pressure suit, and he was probably killed instantly. Um, his U-2 plane broke apart, fell at least 60,000 feet. Now, if you think about an airliner, when it's really high above the storms, it's 30,000 feet. Yeah, so it's twice as... So he's 60,000 feet up. You know it's cold up there. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he's, he, he was higher than probably the devil is right now on purpose, Timmy. <laughs> yes, probably was. Now, President Kennedy was, immediate not- he was notified immediately. It seemed now that war was just unavoidable. They just shot down. Yeah, this is like a, the, the, the very worst of the crisis, right? Yeah, so the day Anderson died, a letter um, from Premier Nikita Khrushchev, he sent another proposed a trade of Soviet missiles in Cuba for U.S.-Turkey missiles in Turkey. What he wanted to do is you take out the ones in Turkey, we'll take out the ones in Cuba. Yeah, and this is so. This kind of shook him as well. Yeah, he he thought, oh shit, things oh, are getting shit. out of control. Oh, yeah. yeah, and he said, you get the cute missiles out of Turkey, we'll get, we'll take them out of Cuba, and you promise us you're not going to invade Canada. Now, <laughs> well, Canada. Canada. Did I say yeah. Canada? Yeah. I think we ought to invade Canada, yeah. Timmy. I mean, but he he did promise not to invade Cuba <laughs> and. All right, and Canada. That's a little known fact in yeah, this whole yeah. thing. It, um, it's one of those footnotes. Canada could be our 51st state. Yes, yes. But we don't feel like... It's cold up there. Well, it's cold, and they got that health care system, and it's, it's, it's expensive. And they have hockey. And they got, yeah. The and Justin Bieber. Hockey. They don't even have... Oh, that son of a bitch, Justin Bieber. Don't get me started, Timmy. Don't <laughs> Con- get me started. Continue, Colonel. I am not a believer. <laughs> no, you're uh, not. So now, okay, Khrushchev's thinking. Now, Khrushchev was... Khrushchev was calculatingly crazy. Yeah. You know, he beat his shoe on the podium at the United Nations, but he was a smart man. He was a very calculating man. He wasn't like Stalin, who was a, you know, Stalin had, Stalin had mental issues. I mean, he had Mm. really. Yeah, he was. Khrushchev was not like this. And he was, you know, so he, he surmises that, holy fuck, you know, this is. This is going to be bad for us, and I don't see us. So, um, the president, now Kennedy's desperate to solve this son of a bitch. Mm-hmm. He, he wants to get out. So he says, you know what? 
I'll take my missiles out of Turkey. You take them out of Cuba. I'm not going to invade Cuba. And yeah. But I might still invade Canada. No. The missiles in Turkey, he had ordered out anyway. Yeah, they were coming out anyway. Yeah, but no, someone somewhere didn't get the word. <laughs> and they were still there. And they there. were still yeah. there. But it probably turned out it's a good thing that they were left there by mistake because it gave them a bargain. It gave them a leverage. Yeah. Well, really what it did was it gave Khrushchev a way to save face. Mm-hmm. You know, because mm-hmm. it... it Made him look right. He has and, his because he has he, his politics. He has to deal with in, and in, yeah, in Russia. He he's he's got to save face. He can't be backing down, mm-hmm. you know, to this blockade. Yeah. But then he says, you know what? I get these missiles away from our border. Look, you know, it's a yeah. win-win, right? So the Juba missiles missiles in Cuba um, were obsolete and had already been ordered to be removed by. President Kennedy, or I mean in Turkey, mm-hmm. they were obsolete and already, as you said, been ordered to be removed. But for whatever reason, they'd never been acted upon. Now, the following day, Khrushchev publicly announced that he'd agreed to withdraw his missiles from Cuba. Now, everybody in the world... Big sigh of relief. A big, took a deep breath. Yeah. Now, many viewed the crisis as one in which a strong U.S. president had forced the Soviet leader to back down. The true situation was far more complex, and the final result was a compromise. Major Rudolf Anderson was only 35 years old when he was killed. He left behind a pregnant wife and two young sons. By order of President John F. Kennedy, Anderson was posthumously awarded the Air Force Cross as well as Air Force Distinguished Service Medal, the Purple Heart, and the Cheney Award. Now, this is long before Dick Cheney Award. Yeah, this was the Dick, Dick Cheney Award this year, any time, yeah. that means you, you've been a big dick. I mean, Dick Cheney before he dicks you. <laughs> yeah, yeah you, get to dick, you, you get to Dick Cheney. Yeah, that's not something you want to put up on your shelf, <laughs> your mantle. you got to shoot one of your friends in the face. Yeah, to get the <laughs> yeah I forgot Award. about that. <laughs> so... After the Cuban Missile Crisis ended, Anderson bo- Anderson's body was returned to the United States and interred in um, interred in Greenville on November sixth at Woodlawn Memorial Park. A memorial to Anderson was erected. <laughs> yeah. In nineteen sixty three, memorial service was held in his honor each late October, and on July twenty sixth, two thousand eleven. Anderson was inducted into the Air Force Reserve Officer Training Corps Distinguished Alumni. Yeah, they still have a memorial service for him every October 27th. Jane Anderson died in 1986, having never remarried. Yeah. And that is, I mean, but the the forgotten hero. A forgotten hero, an accidental hero. He didn't Mm -hmm. want to be a hero, but Mm -hmm. that is the, you know, when we talk about the powder keg, Timmy. That was the powder keg, and shooting him down, that was the big spark. And that is that was something that got both Kennedy and Khrushchev to, to kind of take a step back. Yeah. And they saw at that point things were getting, events were, they were oh, going they were beyond their control. Beyond their own control. Yeah. Yeah, so it was, it was kind of, you know what it is, it's kind of like, if it, and again, I'll go back to me and the devil. Mm-hmm. You know, me, of course, being Kennedy. All the rational. Yeah, young, very charming, rational. Yeah. Um, good looking. 
her, uh, Brandy being Khrushchev, yeah. pound, you know, pounding her shoe on the table. Yeah, yeah. her big size 14 shoe yeah. on the table. Yeah. She got a she croc, probably a croc. Yeah, it's a croc. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, she ain't wearing no socks. Mm-hmm. You know that. Mm-hmm. She got that toenail fungus. It yeah, makes yeah, everybody yeah. scared. But and you know, so it's like me and her trying to work things out. Yeah, and it's almost an impossibility because you know you're not dealing with the same rational person. Right. Fortunately, Khrushchev was more sane than the devil was. Yeah, yeah. The devil is, and so it's it's very similar. To it. It's it, it's kind of like when I need um, when I need something from her for one of my reports, yes. and I come in and say, Brandy, you know, you're supposed to turn this into she me. Pounds the pounds the shit. She throws on shit at me. She tells me, you know, <laughs> she'll come and burn down my house, my office, my whatnot. Yeah, and then you know, I, uh, calmer heads prevail, and yeah. I say devil can you just calm down and if you'll do this for me here's what I you know yeah I'll give you you're this. a man of reason Colonel I am a, I, I like to think I'm a man of reason you, and you I'm, are I'm and a, man, a man of honor you are definitely now do you have any shout outs real quick? I got tons of shout outs okay me. how are we doing on time we're doing good on time all right me. give us we're some shout outs well I'm I, you know I start my shout outs every time with one particular person mm-hmm and that is because she is just, every time I see a post, Timmy, I just think, what a lovely young lady. You're talking, of course, about Tasha. Ta- you know what? The beautiful Tasha the beautiful out there in Tasha, California. And I just, I, you know, and, and I'm much older than Tasha. Mm-hmm. And I see Tasha and I think, I would love to have that girl as a daughter. I mean, she just make you so proud. She of would. Of She's very intelligent. She's got a she, master's degree. And you're, uh, I believe... Uh, European history. I probably got that wrong, but I know she studied in uh, in England. Very mm-hmm. attractive, very smart, talented young lady. She's, she's, just tu- a, she's a tutor. Would love to have my children. If I had children, to be um, uh, tutored by someone. I'd like, like Tasha. one of one of one of my boys to find me, hook up with Tasha, and marry Tasha, so she could be my daughter-in-law. It would be very so nice. Then I would have a kid that didn't drive me crazy, and I would like. Yes, I would look forward to Christmas. Tonight. Yes. Let's see who else we got here. Jeff Girdley, mm-hmm. um, Jeff. Sam Hildebrand, Angie Ball. She's a lovely girl. Yes. Um, Jennifer and Linda, of course. Missy Dean Horton, and we got the hockey playing Chris and Britt. Celine and is it? Should we say Doctor Jeff Chestnut? I think I don't know how he feels about that, but he is a doctor. He's Doctor J. Doctor J. Doctor J. Down there in Dominica. Yeah. Um, Let's see. We got Teresa Slavin, Tommy Boom Boom, Boomer Shine. Tommy Boomer Shine. How you doing, Tommy? We got Chanda and Larry. Larry, you sweet son of a bitch. I read Chanda's post yesterday. You, uh, you what was it about? I didn't miss that. Chanda, uh, Chanda was doing the dishes and doing some vacuuming. And she was got music on and listening, and it, she's playing Unchained Melody. And okay. Larry just came in and started dancing with her. Uh, Nice he just guy. told her how lucky he was to have the woman. Yeah, he was trying to get laid, I guess. But you know what? It's, yeah. it, it doesn't matter. It's right. the effort. You know, Larry? <laughs> good job, Larry. Good job. And, and you know what? He recognizes he's lucky to have a good woman. So it's, it's good to, you know. No, she's like lucky, that. too. He's a good guy. Um, the Trowbridges. Yes. Of course, Colton. Mm-hmm. Phyllis Munson. Hey, Phyllis. Um, the lovely Aaron Wentz. Aaron Donna with the Donna, give us a check in and let us know how the pup's doing. We haven't heard about him in a while. 
Uh, Brian and Lisa Lawton, of course. Hey, Brian, Lisa. Um, Lisa would be another one that'd be fun to have as a daughter. Yeah. Um, I like her hair. She has, I like, know, dreads. I like really, really cool. Um, Olivia Meyer. Yes, Olivia. Um, of course, Fallon. Fallon, how's it going? Um, Katja. Katja, Katja, Katja over there in Denmark. Over there in Denmark, she's another one. Very you know, uh, young girls, smart young lady. Just think, very man, talented. It'd just be lovely to have one of my boys marry. Mm-hmm. Uh, big. Uh, let's see who we got here. Monica D'Agostino. Monica. How you doing, Monica? You were just going to say Big John Holmes. Uh, big John Holmes. I got Sandy September. Bridget Clavy. Byron Snellings. Big Denny Mac. Denny McNamara. How you doing, Denny? Yeah. Um, Angelo. Angelo, of course. And we got William Tro. Yeah. Hi, William. Amber Croup. Amber. Gina. Gina Spillane. What if she's in relation to Mickey? I was I was wondering that, but she's probably not old enough to know who Mickey Spillane is. Yeah, so. Probably not. Googling. We got Trixie. Um, Stephanie Quick, Sydney and Michael, of course, and Wonder. Great. Uh, Wonder Dog. Dog. Jamie T. Jamie, Jamie. Yes, Jamie. Laura O'Reilly. Gabby Lewis. Sunstar. Tara V out there in Phoenix, Arizona, or wherever she at. We got Bond. Gene Bond. Gene Bond. Lydia. Hey, Lydia. Brandy McBride. Maggie Glover, Jeff Appel, Christine Bourgeois. I love her last name. Hi, Christine. Mary Ray. I feel like I should get dressed up just to say her name. <laughs> I know. Um, and here's one. And when I say this name, I am not. Um, it, it sounds like I'm making an indecent proposal okay. to someone. All right. Wait on me. I'm just saying I'm giving a shout out to a person. Okay. So when I say Katie Moorhead, right. I'm not asking for anything. <laughs> I'm just saying hello to somebody. I all right. You. I got you. Hi Katie. Katie, I'm, how you doing? I'm sorry. And that is the last time <laughs> I will make fun of that name, but I had to do it. Well, yes. Colonel, it's um, uh it's expected of you, I think. Yeah, Mary, Mary Ray, of course. She said she went a whole year without any a year of marriage with that name, and no one has said anything to you. <laughs> and okay. I was the first. Yeah. So yeah, when you say, "Hey, Katie Moorhead," yeah, it's not Katie Moorhead; it's Katie Moorhead. I got you. You don't say it like a question. You, you it's not. You're not like using any question mark. You're just yeah. making a statement. I got <laughs> exactly. You. Lovely lady. She is a lovely lady. Um, the Heather's, of course, Heather Hall and Heather Poole. Hi, Heather's. Um, Rebecca mm-hmm. Montanli, mm-hmm. Mike Eisenhower, Danielle Fredrickson, Andy Sparaccio, Valerio, Valerio Bishop. Mm-hmm. Um, I I got approval from Nancy Palomino. Oh, and she did mind did not mind me mangling up her name. Okay, and just going with Palomino. Okay. Um, Kim Kamikaze, mm-hmm. Jennifer Hawkins. Um, and let's see who we got. We last week we had Suniana Satish Adanki. I'm not sure. I these got are that these right. are new members. No, these are not. Okay. Um, and Eddie Rushling, your handler, Sammy James. Here's some new ones. Okay. Uh, Melissa Lebrano. Okay. Bobby Burns. John Welcome. Gray. Welcome. 
Um, I believe it's Christian Dorns. I think so. Brittany Powell. Um, Sylvester Bates. Mm-hmm. Or Bates. Yeah, Sylvester Bates. And Deardorff, he he must be a Duke or something. Deardorff Barnett. It sounds like a very... The Duke. Deardorff it's, it's Barnett. A, it sounds like a royal uh, name. Yeah. Welcome and, all to our page. If you're not on our um, Facebook page, join us at History Dweebs the Podcast. And um, everyone we mention in our shout outs, are, uh, most of them are a part of that page. And a lot of fun on there and a lot of interaction. So join us at History Dweebs the Podcast. And then last but not least, Timmy. We got at least two more. Well, oh no, we got we saved them for last. Okay. We said last but not least. Oh no, last group. Okay. Last group, we got uh, what I like to call the Colonel's Squad. Okay. Because Colonel's Crew. The Colonel's Crew. Mm -hmm. And when we, uh, the Colonel's Angels. Okay. And when when these. Chuck's uh, Angels. When these. When you're doing a Christmas story, Timmy, Mm -hmm. you got to remember if anything happens to the Colonel, I got a whole bunch of. Of well, you're helping here. me write this thing, too. They got too, my so. back. So, um, let's see. Who we starting with? We're Angie Cobes. Okay, Angie. All right. Now, she likes to give me hell, but I know she on the Colonel Crew. Angie Ball. Mm, Angie. Um, Nicola. My, Nicola Reed. Nicola is my legal advisor and She's basically counselor. my life coach. Yeah, well, you need one. Um, yeah. Uh, Sarah... Used to be Sarah Spaghetti. Yeah. Now, she's Sarah Mimosa. Okay. Um, Jen Burdick, mm-hmm. um, Karen Barnes, of course, um, the two lovely Irish girls, Janet Fitzgerald and Frances Darden. Glasses. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, 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 and Jessica Williams, who's going to help me, because I'm telling you, I said it on the live thing, Timmy, my back hurts from carrying this show. The woman is no. a massage therapist. She can fix up my spine. She's like a chiropractor with a table. So Jessica, the ones I the the masseuses I go to, they give you happy endings. <laughs> yeah, Jessica. I don't. Have, I don't know. Jessica's, they don't have certificates necessarily. Jessica's the legit kind. I know. I know. She, nah, I know. What she does she's on, the kind I wouldn't go to. What she does on the side, I don't know. <laughs> okay. I do not know. But um, let's see, Amanda Bocci Ball, mm-hmm. and of course, you know, there's one person. You see her picture on the internet, and she looks like she just says petite. Cute, uh, lovely look. It, it looks like if you seen her in person, you couldn't help but hug her. Mm-hmm. But she's crazy as hell. She's probably the craziest person to listen to this show, Timmy. That would be. That's Allie. Allie over there you know, in Allie. Australia. Allie. Down under Rue, as we affectionately call Rue. her. Um, she's part of the uh, Insight Insight with Charlie yes Charlie Charlie seems to be a little bit more reasonable and rational but Allie's out of her damn mind Allie's coming she's visiting the United States next June we're going to see her in Indianapolis at the CrimeCon CrimeCon we're going to go over there and see her Mm -hmm. now of course we have the lovely uh, Lady Beverly yes Um, hope you're doing better Lady Beverly we miss you we're thinking about you and then, of course, you know, I shouldn't even have to say a name. This show, this really should be called Dottie Scott's History Dweebs. Yeah. Um, yes. And Dottie was kind enough to try to help us out with the show here. She's going to help us out with microphones. Yes, she is. Dottie, we, we appreciate that greatly. We appreciate it. And, and honestly, we do this show. We do this show. I know, Dottie, only one person got killed. They didn't get murdered. But you got to understand, when the devil's not here, Dottie, 
Timmy and I got to actually try to do real history. Um, <laughs> because we can't do that if Brandy's here. Because when she, you know. Her Brandy, expertise is in, uh, it's in the macabre. The macabre, it's in, um, you know, clothing, Death shoes, and murder, and. Yeah, and uh, mayhem, satanic things. Yes. You know, there was nothing satanic in here. Yeah. So when we're talking about actual historical events that we have to get right and we don't really have a margin for error, yes, we can't really do that when Brandy's here. So um, mm-hmm. She hits we, us. She hits us a lot. She hits us all the time. Mm-hmm. But she doesn't know who Khrushchev is. No. She wouldn't even know. She, I don't think she knows who Kennedy is. No. I, we, when I said, you know, we're going to do one I'm on I'm not sure she knows what Cuba is. Yeah. No, I said, Tim, we're going to do one of a guy that flew a, a U-2 plane. Mm-hmm. And she was like, oh, cool. Did he meet Bono? <laughs> and I was like, oh, for the love of God, woman. So, you know, that's why we don't do heavy history right, when right. the devil's here. I understand. So, anyway, that is all I have. Okay. Um, we we uh, apologize for the short podcast. We had an opportunity to do, to do one more podcast in the month of October. We had a little space left on our uh, hosting site. So, we wanted to get something out there for you. So, we hope you enjoyed it. Where can people find us, Colonel? People can find us on the best place to interact with us is on our Facebook page. That's History Leaves, the, the podcast. podcast group. Yes. Um, now, what we would love, and I don't know if there's a way to put a link or instructions on that, what we would really love, we got another nice review, is for you to put a review on iTunes. You can find us on iTunes, and we would love for you to put in a link, uh, a review up there for us. That's going to be a bad one because you're just going to piss me well, off. Well, it would be. We did get a. We did get a nice review, and we really appreciate that. Um, and uh, they said, th- but I couldn't figure it out because they were talking about the show ending. No, I think she was saying the person was saying, "I know how the show is going to end. Brandy's going to get mad and kill us both." Oh, I see. Oh, that's yeah, and that's probably that's, pro- that's probably that's probably an astute observation. And you but th zero zero two one, thank you very much for your very kind review. We appreciate it. So, if you could really, we'd really appreciate that. And of course, anybody that um, feels so inclined. You can find us on Patreon, Patreon, do a search for History Dweebs. Yeah, patreon.com slash History Dweebs. We're on Twitter at History Dweebs 1. Yeah. And um, uh, Stitcher, we're all over the place. We're more popular than Captain Kangaroo. We are more popular than Captain Kangaroo yeah. and his little molesting partner, Mr. Green Jeans. Yeah, I don't know if he me. was a molester, but we can talk about that next time. So uh, any final thoughts, Colonel? I got no final thoughts. It's just, Timmy, it's been a joy. It's been a joy, Timmy. It is. It's a I mean, pleasure to. Uh, this was like. Does this feel like how podcasting is supposed to be? I think so. Yeah, I mean, without all the interruptions and uh, yeah, cursing the, the and nonsense and the yeah. foul language and then and the the belching and the, the, yeah, the yawning, the and, yeah. uh, um, candy crush. Yeah. yeah, I think this is kind of how it's supposed to work. I mean, it's so nice to read my script and not have Brandy lean over and say, "Hey, pull my finger." I know. You know I mean. That, <laughs> That quit becoming funny in third grade. We'll see y'all again next time on History Dweebs. Bye, everyone. The biggest names in tennis are coming to Paris for the most anticipated Roland Garros in years. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. 
Experience three weeks of unparalleled tournament access as the world's top players in tennis face off against each other. Will the veteran champions continue their dominance, or will a fresh face emerge to challenge their legacy on the clay courts? Daily live coverage of this epic showdown begins Monday, May 20th. Don't miss a matchup. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.